Hello and welcome to Eggamodities, a podcast by Eggam Museum. Welcome everybody to uh, unprecedented times, I think it's fair to say. Um, I'm currently talking to you from the grandeur, the palace that is my kitchen. Um, well, COVID-19, what can we say? Haven't been out the house in quite a while and you can probably hear it in my voice. Um, as ever, welcome to Eggamodities, the Eggam Museum podcast. I am joined somewhere, hopefully uh, technology allowing, by the dynamic duo who are not together for a change. They are in, I'm led to believe, two separate places. Amy Stone and Sarah Korn. How are you both this evening? Ooh, hi, Stephen. Stephen, I'm finding it difficult to uh, hear you through modern technology. <laughs> oh dear. Um, and now, how has your uh, lockdown experience been? To be fair, it's been going well until tonight. <laughs> Our technology hasn't failed me this supremely until now. It's untrue. Yeah, I know. Typical. Apart what? from that, I, I'm um, enjoying the weather from the window, looking out the window. I should be doing my walks. Um, I am eating too much. Uh, I love my dressing gown. Living it. Can't hear you. Are you even there anymore? <laughs> yes, we're trying not to talk over you. Okay then. Amy, what about you? What have you been up to for the last eight weeks? Uh, I've been doing baking along with the rest of the country, which has been very nice. Um, and I've been, I've taken up running also along with the rest of the world. So I'm just a nice uh, lockdown stereotype, really, but enjoying it nevertheless. Running, okay. Amy. Don't sound so surprised. No, I'm just saying with the rest of the world. Not in my not in my neck of the woods. <laughs> and um I suppose we should also let tonight's guest get involved in the chat rather than as she currently is just lurking in the chat room not saying anything. And we are breaking new ground here on the Ego Modities podcast. Joining us from somewhere in London, I'm led to believe it's Dr. Monica Walker, the marketing events and retail manager of the Old Operating Museum and Herb Garrett. There we are. We thought that would be easier than last time. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And he said they was rolling off and everything. Yeah. Basically, I'm just unable to say um, the Old Operating Theatre Museum and Herb Garrett is basically what I'm unable to say. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, well otherwise? I'm doing good. I am doing. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Are you keeping busy and well during these lockdown times? I am. I am. I've been. I've been actually very busy. <laughs> well, that is good. That is yep. good. That is what we like to hear. And also, a little birdie tells me that you are secretly, or maybe not secretly, taking pictures of London during lockdown and have a. Uh, personal site on the go here's your opportunity to plug it oh yeah i actually um started uh, working on a project car london after people and the idea was basically because i, I live in central london I, I actually live very near london bridge it gives me the opportunity to just walk everywhere in london um but just central london mostly and just take my camera um take my mask um Keep every social distance that I can have with everybody around me, which sometimes it's no one, um, and just walk around London trying to document this in interesting times. And yeah, so 
those are my, that's my project. Um, literally, Skull and After People. I must say, I've seen some of your photos and they are spectacular. So uh, oh, do, keep them, do keep up doing this important work. Thank you. I will. Good. Amy, Sarah, you could learn a lot from Monica. I went out to uh, Egham High Street yesterday and took some snaps. Yay! <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite the same though, is it? It's not quite the same. There were people um, queuing up for Tesco's and crossing the other side of the road as, you know, to respect each other's social distance, which I was pleased. But everyone was very friendly, you know, morning, thank you, and respectful of each other, which was good to see. Levegum. Um, so tonight's podcast is going to take a very different um, kind of approach to the oddity. Given that we're not in the museum and I'm not um, surrounded by four different clocks that tell four different times and there is not an 18th century stock to my left-hand side as there normally is, um, tonight's oddity is, uh, well, we can't see it for a start, but that doesn't mean that we've not already been introduced to it. Um, so... Tonight's podcast is actually a conversation about a social media campaign that um, I was heavily involved in, um, and also Amy and Sarah were, um, that was ran from the Egham Museum account. It was the inaugural um, National Oddity Championships 2020. Um, Do you please uh, just tell the listeners at home the basic premise of the National Oddities Championships? National Oddity Championships um, involved 17 heritage organisations. So there was mostly museums, but there was a couple of archives, the history centres in there, and a library. I mustn't forget the library. Um, and each heritage organisation uh, submitted their own oddity. So we, let, we didn't uh, specify what we meant by an oddity. Uh, so they all went a bit uh, wild with their submissions. Then we pitched them against each other on Twitter using Twitter polls and let the, the good people uh, of social media decide uh, who thought who they thought was the owner of the uh, strangest item in these collections. And it was a uh, bit fun. And Sarah, from uh, your perspective as the curator of Egger Museum, um, how did this kind of social media venture uh, play out in... Uh, Caught of your mind. I think it was a great idea because we all know museums up and down the country um, are going to have something in their collections. A little bit strange, a little bit quirky, a little bit left field. Why is it there? What does it mean? You know, what are the stories behind it? I've worked with, with quite a few museums across the southeast in my years, and, and everyone I've spoken to, curators and collections managers in the past, have. have um, and sort of found these kind of items. So I knew we were going to be in for a treat. So I was really pleased we were able to open it up with up to lots of other museums across the country. And that explains why Monica is here, because Monica was actually in a responsible um, and also managed to take the National Oddity Championship 2020 crown so monica without any further ado, what was the oddity that you put forward for the championships Bring on the oddity! Hi. um so when i had to make a decision regarding what kind of object will be 
a great contender because we, you know, when, when we started like looking into this, it was kind of like, my God, we have so many different things. We are a medical museum. There's a lot of stuff there that is weird. But this one always was uh, kind of special because of how odd it was. <laughs> so our, our chosen um, kind of oddity was a whirling syringe, um, which is a lady spray um, from 1890. And you will say, what is this? Um, but literally it's a <laughs> vaginal <dish. laughs> Say it as it, like it is. is. <laughs> well, you got to keep your bits clean, haven't you? Well, apparently that's what they thought in the Victorian era. Yes, it was. It was sold mostly as a well, sold mostly as a you know feminine hygiene product. You don't you don't see me, but I was actually doing that with like like um, air quotation marks. <laughs> thought you were going to say that you know that actually you've been kind of been a bit more gesticular as you've been talking, um, but fortunately you didn't. Uh, so 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 what was it about the um the whirling syringe as i'm going to call it because you know it's not that i'm a prude or anything but you know we need to be historically accurate the whirling syringe uh, that immediately that immediately caught your attention um and you know what were the other contenders that you could have put forward oh my god um i think it's it's just like okay this is like it's gonna sound really you know, strange, uh, because, uh, the fact that it is a product like for, for women and, but it has a very phallic kind of, um, kind of shape. Um, for those of you that don't know how it actually looks like, it actually has a hollow rod, um, that is, you know, very phallic shape and it has a bulb at the back, um, where you used to be able to just, um, you know, push it and the, the bulb and liquid will go inside and then you can just spray it, you know, by pushing it again. Okay. <laughs> it's orifices. Um, so um, the fact that it was um, a feminine object, um, but with a very phallic kind of like feel to it, I feel that it was just like, okay, this is odd enough, but it's also funny and intriguing and horrifying and it is all these things at the same time it will not leave people you know um indifferent could i could it be likened to a turkey baster (laughs) type shape how you described it there would it would that be fair to say with the the phallic end and a a bulb at one end Do you know a turkey baster? No? Anyone? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. It looks exactly like it, but bigger. (laughs) Now I I would never be able to actually. Did you know the way Monica described it? Turkey baster came into my head. Because it looks exactly like it. The, the, the actual, you know, the actual theory behind the product is the same. I'm going to take you oh. away for it because obviously, as a man, I can't really comment. Um, You're not based turkeys, then, oh. Stephen. So, Amy, as a obviously, you were unaware of what the oddity submission was from the old operating theatre, and you would have basically seen it live in real time as everyone else did what were your first impressions well 
I was quite surprised to see it. Um, the submissions from everyone else uh, varied, to say the least, but uh, none of them quite had the... Um, none of them were quite as graphic, would you say, as the whirling syringe. Although I find it very interesting. Um, got, had a lot of nice discussion, uh, as much as you can have a nice discussion about such things, uh, with people about... Um, Oh, it was like a marketing thing, as um, Monica was saying about how it was it was a product to be sold and all of the packaging that came with it, I found quite interesting. Um, yes, I, I, uh, I'm not surprised that it got the, got the amount of conversation that it did. So Monica, what was your route through the, uh, through the competition then? Give us a blow-by-blow blow account, if that's the right terminology. You know, to tell you the truth, I completely forgot. <laughs> I think that um, you know, on the first, the first, uh, the first day, we were against Royston. Uh, no, you weren't. No. No, who were we? I mean, I'll be honest. I don't remember. Surely. Um, no. So right. So well done, guys. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we were like, I'm like, yeah, I for, I completely forgot about the actual like blow by blow thing right now. <laughs> So, Can I just say, Monica was out having a leisurely walk, uh, <laughs> a permitted, her uh, one permitted walk for health reasons that day, and I messaged her going, uh, <coughs> Monica, <laughs> they're voting in a minute. <laughs> oh my God, I remember that. <laughs> Do you remember that? That's quite funny. <laughs> it's, um, it's nice to know that should, our competition was taken seriously. Should I, uh, should I put a disclaimer in at this point? Yeah, Sarah, you probably should. Disclaimer alert is, uh, while I am part-time at Egger Museum, I'm also part-time director at the Old Operating Theatre Museum in Herb Garrett. Ah, so, that's um, what the title is. Yes. <laughs> so I, um, I, I was impartial, you know. I, with Monica, Monica led this whole object choice and, and the way it was presented on social media, but I was... The edge of my seat the whole way through from the very beginning. You didn't know what it was, Sarah. Actually, no, I don't think I did until the um, until the day. I think Monica was very good at keeping it a surprise. Yeah, I did not. I did not. I did not, I did not tell her on purpose. <laughs> she just told me I've got a really good object. <laughs> yes, I did. I've got a really good object for you. <laughs> and you just and you just went with it, didn't you? Yeah, I trust Monica. Uh, me <laughs> hindsight, hindsight suggests that she did have a really good object. Yeah. So, anyway, in the first round, Monica, you were pitted up against um, Surrey History Centre and their dentures. Oh my God, that's so true. Ah, yeah, I remember that because I think we were talking about um, do we have any dentures in the collection? Yeah, and, and I was, I was, I was actually trying to get back to to the house to finish this, and I was texting Sarah all of the images that I had about dentures. Yes, there was a, we had all we could between us on our phones. We could find some pictures of sweets, didn't we? Yeah, that was it. I mean, we don't have dentures in the museum. I mean. Uh, dentistry is not one of the of the things that we have uh, from from the history of medicine in in our collection. There is almost nothing in regards to dentistry, but um, but we do have sweets, um, and some of them were dentures. So I thought that that was perfect, you know, <laughs> to kind of share that uh, as well with uh, with uh, with Surrey. And it was a lot of fun, though. 
uh, because that's when all the banter kind of started as well with everybody. <laughs> yes, now the banter definitely did start quite early doors, didn't it? Especially with our promotion video the day before where it was basically a demolition derby of uh, yes. heritage organizations that really got it off to a bang. Yes, I am being self-congratulatory. I just should be because that was really like a lot of fun just to watch the videos and oh my God, we're going to be part of this. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> That's hilarious. Especially when you could see um, at the end, I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but you saw the cars that had the logo of Egger Museum on Get, you saw them completely get smashed out of the way by the car that had logo of the old operating theatre museum logo on. So, just saying, what was going on there? Putting <laughs> my two museums against each other. Well, you came. You emerged as the ultimate victor, Sarah. Lose, really, I think. Or, or should we actually say, Sora? Because uh, Sura, Sura, yes, Sura. As of, for the rest of this episode, you're going to be called Surah or Surah. No, Surah. Do it with that gruffly voice. Surah. Surah. And imagine a cape flying in the background. I mean, to be honest, I sound more like a Caribbean pirate, but. Um, <laughs> a little bit. You're just missing the err, you know. But, and, and for the benefit of those at home, the reason that we're calling her by this ridiculous name is that her current uh, kind of username on the. Uh, on the chat we're using is S-U-R-A-H. So it's a dyslexic spelling of Sarah. Um, <laughs> why not? I'm, not? I'm not saying there was any reason why not, but just, you know. <laughs> superhero name. Superhero name. Superhero name indeed. And then so having beaten um, Surrey, you progressed into the quarter, no, round of 16. No, quarterfinals, quarterfinals, quarterfinals goes after the round of 16, where you came up against the mighty Chertsey Museum. And this was, in a way, a battle of the feminine products. Do you remember <laughs> what, you were, what you were up against? I do. Oh. Yes, it was something to do with um, uh, how a lady might need to relieve herself under her skirts, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes, well remembered. Yes, because uh, Chelsea Museum have a fantastic costume collection, and I think this supports that costume collection. Well, I, yeah, I mean, the last thing you'd want to do is wet your wet your skirt or dress, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's a potty. Are we going to say it, it was a potty? I mean... Did it have a name? Did it have like a potty? Yes, it was, it was a bordeloo. A bordeloo. Bordeloo. Yeah, it was. U-R-D-A-L-O-U-E. I think I'm pronouncing think? it correctly. But yes, from the uh, 18th, 19th century, 19th century, maybe 18th century. It was of that time period. So in a way, so we were kind of... it was called a bordeloo? No, I didn't bother researching. Oh, sorry. Can we put this fun fact uh, nerd alert in? Can we do this? Sorry, sorry, Amy. Has somebody just called nerd alert on me? Oh dear. <laughs> no, not you, Amy. She was like, oh, you know why it's called. <laughs> so please go ahead, Amy. It, um, it's named after a man, which I think is kind of weird. <laughs> Amy, are you joking? You actually know why it's called a borderloo. <laughs> yeah. More knowledge, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's named after a French preacher called Louis Bordeloo. You're joking. Um, it is. It's true. It's a you thing. can't make this up. I think she's Googling no. it. 
Um, and do, right, the nerd alert continues. Are you ready for this? No, I don't think I am. It's because he he had he was so good at doing his preaching, the women didn't want to miss sermons, so they took a borderloo with them, so they didn't have to leave while he was talking. Um, oh, that is somewhat sweet, but at the same time, so weird. You are. It looks like a gravy boat, if anyone's wondering. It does yeah. look like a gravy yes. boat. Yes, it does. Two things. It looks like a gravy bowl. It actually puts stuff on turkey. Yeah, oh, no. We've got a Sunday roast there, haven't we? <laughs> we are just like we are. I'm so tempted to make a stuffing joke, but I'm not going to. Oh, no. <laughs> Frames. So, um, so you managed to beat Chertsey. Um, yeah. Congratulations. I mean... Nerd alert. Yeah, I was going to say, Amy, I was really impressed with that nerd alert. That was actually genuinely historical knowledge um, and completely unprovoked. And I don't, where did you learn that from? Have you ever you used a Bordeloo? No, I've never used a Bordeloo, but I was interested because I, um, well, it's just a French word and it's interesting, isn't it? So I Googled it. Uh, well, you, 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 you did French at uni, so you've got that, you know, interest in the words and the origins. And I'm just a nerd at this stage. You're a nerd. I'm sorry. I'm trying to give you a get out there. So. <laughs> I like. I like the fact, Sarah. You said you did French at uni, so you have an interest in the words and the phrases. <laughs> I think that's kind of undermining a French degree, really, isn't it? <laughs> sorry, I did sell that. So, <laughs> intricate. Uh, no, I. I I can just I can just imagining the promotional messages right now. Are you interested in words and phrases? Do you like to speak French? If so, do a French degree. <laughs> I'm available, you know, for voiceovers. Oh, lessons as well. Yeah, not for French lessons. Oh no, no. So. Oh, wow. So that brought an end to the first day. Um, that was the eighth of uh, April. Yeah. You had managed to progress to the semi-finals. Now, do you remember who your opposition was in the semi-finals? Uh, the National Library of Scotland. It was the National Library of Scotland. And mm-hmm. do you remember what they had pitted or put forward? Ah, something was bones. It was the bones from the beast. Was it? Yes, it was the Stronsay beast from Orkney. Yes, the monster of Orkney, the beast the of Orkney. Mon- the beast of Orkney, yes. No, uh, I, just, I was on the edge of my seat this whole day. You I wanted you monitor, but <laughs> it was an intense day. It was really intense. Both days were really intense. I have to admit it. First of all, because I didn't think that we would make it this far. <laughs> Second, because I was sure that we were going to, to, to basically... Uh, lose against uh, an, the National Library of Scotland just because mm. of the amount of followers that they had in comparison yeah. to the amount of followers that we had, you know? So it's like if you, if you have like a call, a call to action um, and you depend solely on your, you know, followers, <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's, it's the National Library of Scotland. There's just no way we're going to be able to beat that. Even yeah. if we have a really good object, you know? Yeah, and 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 you had um, you had uh, I thought I thought so each poll lasted three hours um because I haven't yet said that so each poll lasted three hours so um it went live at ten and then stopped at one didn't it um, and I think I think I think the old op played an absolute masterstroke on the beginning of the semi final day because I know that you 
were secretly f- feeling a little intimidated by the uh, the might of the following that the Library- National Library of Scotland has. But you on that morning, I remember very clearly, and whether it was, you know, just you, Monica, or it was Sarah was in cahoots with you, I'm not sure. But there was a tweet that basically said to all small museums. I um, did that, yeah. <laughs> it was Monica. Uh, kudos to Monica there. And I think she played absolutely blind, a blinder there because, yes, we, we called her on our fellow small museums to <laughs> unite. And that was a really good move, Monica. Well done on that one. Yeah, I was like, because we're, I mean, if we unite, at least we can at least beat one of the big ones. <laughs> yes. And that was pretty much, it was pretty much the sentiment of your tweet. Um, and I think that I, I believe that that was the highest turnout out of all of the votes we had in the um, in uh, during the course of the Odyssey Championships. Wow, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, I think it, it almost hit. Uh, it was about nine hundred, so it almost hit a thousand. So that in three hours, nine hundred votes, which isn't a bad level of engagement. No, um, no, it was intense. I remember it was literally neck and neck, and then you had to. Uh, Library of Scotland going ahead, then we were yeah. going ahead. Yeah. Every time we refreshed, it was a different um, outcome. And me oh and Monica were there messaging each other, going, Oh my God! <laughs> no, we're going to lose. No, no, oh my God. We are, no, and, and I mean, it was just so <laughs> like, I still remember just all of the excitement and the stress of being at the edge of my seat, hitting that yeah. refresh button. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't concentrate on anything else. I was completely absorbed on Twitter that well, day. N- nor should you. Oh, yeah. That exactly. day was Twitter day, you know. <laughs> Amy, as somebody that wasn't quite, you know, as impassionately involved from a uh, perspective of working for the old operating theatre museum, um, how did you kind of view that, that level of engagement and, and also that level of competition? I was really impressed with how everyone, all of the museums and other heritage organisations, really like very passionate about their oddity, and they really kind of banded together. There was a lot of um, a lot of the people who got knocked out in the earlier rounds were 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 being very vocal in their support for the people that had that had gone through to the next level, um, and it was really impressive actually because the Egger Museum didn't have a huge we had a fair Twitter follower. I don't want to be too mean, but it wasn't huge. Um, so we just didn't anticipate, well, I definitely did Maybe I'm cynical, but I definitely didn't anticipate it getting the, like the amount of support it did from all over the place. Really. We had worldwide, worldwide support for the various different oddities. And it was, it was really, really impressive and really, um, very, very competitive. There's lots of very competitive people behind the, uh, various museum, Social media accounts, so we learned from this moment. Uh, yeah, so so competitive. Uh, everyone really did kind of get into the uh, get into the competitive vibe and spirit of the oddity championship. You know, I think people really ca- people captured the imagination of uh, the oddities. There's a lot of balance. I think it's also yeah. fair to say that. Because of when we were doing this, this was during the first few weeks of lockdown. There was a lot of stuff going on on social media in terms of museum museums from home and all of it, all of various other campaigns and such like. I think it was a testament to the fact that we were all looking for new ways to tell stories from our collection when we physically are not 
anywhere near our collection a lot of the time. Yeah. I think everyone really grabbed the ball by the horns and took this opportunity to tell more stories in, in a new and innovative way. That kind of was a product of the circumstance as much as anything else. And I think it worked really well. Yeah, and I think also um, people were, and I think a couple of museums said this on, on the Twitter feeds and the conversation we're having. It's also because we hadn't maybe planned for this before lockdown. Um, a lot of the museums are saying it's uh, what's the most oddest thing we have actually a photo of whilst we're not in the museum of. <laughs> so, so actually, who knows what next year is going to contain because um, we'll have hopefully full access to, to the entire collection to choose from. That is so true. <laughs> I mean, it says a lot about the photos that Monica takes then, doesn't it, really? Oh, you should see some of, yeah, absolutely. Filth, absolute filth. <laughs> <laughs> the only time that you can say a vaginal douche is absolute filth both clean cleansing and dirty at the same time <laughs> quite possibly yeah so so the way that the from my recollections the way that the um, kind of pendulum swung in your battle to the death with the national library of scotland is that they took the early lead um yeah. And then, you know, there was a sort of an hour where I thought, oh, they're just going to romp this. Um, and then and then and then you started getting some quite loyal and also high profile um, advocates on your behalf. Um, yeah. Would you mind, Monica, just telling us about, you know, what sort of their impact were and also who they were? So um, uh, <laughs> this was really bizarre because we have. Um, what we call the ambassadors to the museum, people that really love our space. Um, and they have come to the museum to give talks and um, or know about us or love our space. And it was really wonderful to see them just come to our aid when we place a call like, hey guys, can you help us out here? <laughs> so um, the first one who got involved early on was uh, Dr. Lindsay Pitz-Harris. Um, she wrote a book called The Butchering Art. Plug. And it has been like the first bestseller list for a while worldwide. So um, she's got a tons of followers and she just got really invested to follow like Team Syringe, you know? Yes, Team Syringe indeed. Yeah, so um, because she got like really, really excited as well, she basically started like calling out also on her high profile friends. So Dan Snow also kind of like tweeted about us. Um, Kate Lister and the Horse of Yore also came to our aid. <laughs> Indeed, no. And there was so, also there was also a, a shout out to the gynecologist in America. The name escapes me, but I'm sure you know. Oh no, I forgot. But yeah, there was you know we basically were calling out um, everybody that we could think of that they will be able to kind of like lend a, a hand. <laughs> yes, no. And then basically basically that that had an immediate kind of impact on the votes and yes. you swung into the lead yeah with about half about an hour and a half still remaining yeah which then forced the national library of scotland to play its trump card and call upon the library of or orkney library yes and which isn't a small account by any means no um, like i said this is like oh, no they did not do that <laughs> there was like my horrifying face when I, I realized what they had done. <laughs> uh, 
this 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 got serious at that point i think oh god yes and i mean the whole thing is a bit ridiculous isn't it let's be honest we are currently talking about a competition between a mythical in inverted commas beast um from the 1800s and a whirling syringe which one is odd which is one is odder well they're both odd and there there are people calling on their friends to back them up in this um yeah so basically it quickly it quickly became a case of team syringe versus um team scotland or team vagina versus team (laughs) scotland depending on how you wanted to phrase it that's a big the big claim isn't it <laughs> team vagina taking on the whole of team yeah, scotland but, but, you know as funny as that sounds i actually think that that's pretty much rally all women together to do, actually vote for that i mean i'm not sure what scottish women's position were in that particular oh, absolutely. they have to choose between you know their gender and their nation <laughs> I'm just imagining families at home, like having you know serious conversations over coffee, like which way are you voting, you Team Scotland or you Team Vagina? <laughs> Mommy, I can't. Why are they American? Vagina. It was international, Amy. Yes, they could have been. <laughs> it was a minor miracle that it didn't come out as my voice. You know. Okay. Okay. When it comes to impressions or voices, or you know, I'm not very good. But at least you, at least you could d- differentiate between my voice and me pretending to be a different conversation. Minor, ble- minor blessings. I've seen you act, uh, Stephen. It, that was good. <laughs> yes, I'm very good at acting the fool. Yeah. We shall say no more. Yes. So, um, after the hashtag Team Scotland hashtag Team Vagina, um. You basically, I mean, I, I believe the National Library of Scotland, Orkney, came on board and closed things. But I think your kind of advocates continued to rally behind you and uh, ensured that you were not surpassed. Um, and once you sort of faced and uh, also bettered the uh, the Orkney wave, um, it was almost plain sailing from there. Yeah, but that was intense because that was like in the last hour. It was yes. really close as well, wasn't it, it Monica? It was, it was like 50-50 almost for a long time of yeah. creeping up and down that mark. Yes, could have gone no. either way. It could have. It could have. This is this is true. So so then you you won your semi-final and that puts you up against um, the Horniman Museum, also in London. Yeah, mm. and I, I actually thought that we were not going to win because they called the merman. Amy, tell us about your thoughts. I know you feel quite passionately about merman. <laughs> I love the merman. I think it, for people who don't know what the Horniman merman is, was it's part of a. I, I can't. I'm such a nerd alert again. Oh my god! So. <laughs> <laughs> Merman is part of um, a late Victorian tradition of like fantastical where people would make uh, fabricate these wonders. So uh, it was made famous by the film The Greatest Showman about P.T. Barnum, but lots of people were doing it. And these merman exist where it was like head or the skull of like a monkey or a wooden skull formed into like the top of the merman and then like a fish. 
because that is what a merman is usually um they would make these things and they would parade them around and charge lots of money for people to come and see them as kind of an attraction i i love them i think they're terrifying really creepy but i feel very strong i'm very sorry team old up but i feel very strongly about the moment i think they're brilliant definitely very odd yeah, I so think we... she voted against us, Monica. I know. I mean, to be honest, um, I when I saw that we were going against the horny man, I was like, oh, no, we're going to lose. Because we're talking about an object that has had media exposure worldwide. It was on QI. Yeah. It was on QI. Was, how can you beat that? So me and Monica had a bit of a pep talk beforehand. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> we were like, if we're up against the merman, it's been on QI, but loads of exposure. It's a fantastic item. Do you know what? Even just being in a final with yeah. the Horniman, which is our neighbour in a way because they're in southeast London, that we, we, we're talking to them anyway about collaborations as between the Horniman Museum and ourselves. You know, it's all good, good spirits and all good fun. Um, we had a little bit of pep talk, so we prepared ourselves for it, didn't we? How, yeah, does, it how does one prepare for this type of battle? It's a, it's oh. a kind of battle that you're never going to be in against again. It's the kind of battle where you've never had any like preparation before. No, this, is, this is a made-up mythical merman mm-hmm. versus a vaginal syringe on Twitter for a championship that was created in Egham Museum, uh, you know, less than two months ago now, which has no actual title apart from bragging rights. And there you guys are kind of, I'm imagining thinking, is it best to go 4-4-2? Or should we play three at the back? Five <laughs> midfield, two up front? I'm not sure. At what point, at what point do we deploy Lindsay Fitzharris? Uh, <laughs> At what point can we get Kate Lister involved here? Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, trust me, you know, there were a lot of stuff. It was all strategic, I- wasn't it, Monica? It was all planned. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, we were so strategic. We were, there was a lot of things going on behind, you know, closed doors in chat rooms and things like that. Imagine Gosh, it, that sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? I'm imagining <laughs> you've, you've probably written a load of very, very large checks, like, please vote for us. <laughs> No, 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 no. We did not. We did not resort to that kind of, you know, tactics. We were imagine, very honest. You know. Imagine though. Imagine if there is a new story that comes out in a couple of months that says the old operating theatre and her whole oh, damn. I forgot museum. The old operating <laughs> theatre museum and Herb Garrett said it. Yes. Um, cheats its way to national oddity championship title. No, my God, no, no! Why did why would you say that? You just put like that thought in people's minds. Well, you were the one that said that there were many secret chats taking place, so you were the one that first put in <laughs> minds. I was rallying the troops, man. I was like, so like searching for support wherever I could find it. Oh, it's incredible! It was all about board, Stephen. All about board. Okay, yeah. leave them. I mean, it was the horny man and the merman. There was just no way that we were going to win. This is how much I knew that we were not going to win. Yeah, we sort of resigned ourselves, didn't we? To the fact that, you know what? Coming second to the merman, we'll live with that. We'll we'll still coast on the the runner-up status. Yep. It got really intense when we started to sort of even out. 
Oh God, yes. So, Amy, going into the competition, uh, going into the final, who was your money on? Well, I like the merman. I, <laughs> I, I'm very a big fan of this merman, but I do think that the so, thing that the um, the whirling syringe was the merman is it is the shock factor. I think I'd def- I had seen a different merman that was very similar in um, my local taxidermy museum because uh, that's how I roll. But I think the I think the whirling syringe definitely had the kind of um, trump card of being shocking. The shock value, yeah. I think, was what uh, tipped it in the in the favour of the um, of the turkey baster, as we've now called it. Whirling syringe, it is not a turkey baster. <laughs> so basically, at first, we thought it was big museum versus little museum, small museums unite. Actually, what it came down to was people's investment in the object itself. Because the whirling syringe was so odd uh, and a bit quirky, I think that's really what won people round. And Monica, do you think that's the case? Um, I think so. And I think that also the fact that um, some people came out and started talking about how it was used because on the one thing we keep talking about the idea that the the wooden syringe is basically a vaginal douche but then um other people started talking about you know the other ways in which it was actually used and um it was used also as birth control and some of the um, the mixtures that they were suggesting that women will use as a spermicide um were quite corrosive in some cases or they would use kind of like um carboric acid which is kind of like a disinfectant <laughs> whoa yeah or vinegar or boric acid was also used or um chloride of zinc they had like all these different things that they suggested that they would be included and and of course the idea was that um that it, it was kind of like a birth control method hidden as a feminine hygiene product wow yeah, and then nobody wanted to so, say anything. And then suddenly everybody was shocked about the actual uses of it. And that brought more interest on the object itself. No, Didn't, there, there um, definitely was a level of conversation. Go on, Sarah. I say, didn't we get a really good um, sort of short 280 character summary from Kate yeah. Lister about like, uses that really yep. have hit home quite a bit? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what happened there. We had two of them, um, one by a gynecologist uh, historian and the other one by Kate Easter. And and it was just kind of like, wow, it was it was the shock factor about the object itself that it wasn't just a, a feminine hygiene product. It was actually something that nobody wanted to talk about um, in the Victorian era. Uh, our our piece or Berlin syringe was actually found under the floorboards in a terrace house in Clapham. Um, so it was oh, wow. actually like really hidden because it's something like they mentionable. These are things that you don't talk about, and these are things that you don't want to show uh, because of the different ways in which that uh, syringe could have been used in the past. So I think that the moment that that kind of information also surfaced, um, then there was like this additional interest in the object. Yeah, definitely. And I think as your kind of battle progressed with the Horniman Museum, like. It it was never a case of one object was a clear winner because both were equally odd in their yeah. own very different way. 
Um, So it kept it very close, but um, there definitely was a sense that that definitely the old, the old operating theatre and, and you guys had had uh, had the weight of history on your shoulders, but also kind of this unhidden or or not uh, this hidden history, um, this unspoken about history that you know that we were sh- we were shining the light on something that is often probably incorrectly seen as a taboo subject, um, yeah, which yeah, I don't think anybody kind great. of imagined would be the case. Yeah. So, um, so well, you won, um, as basically, as basically I kind of gave away, you, you were the winner. Yeah. And there was, there was much, there was much, um, there were, there was a lot of, uh, well, I suppose actually, I think one of the most interesting things for me as an observer, um, and, and let's not linger on the point too much, but, um, the kind of conversation that kind of drifted into, uh, you know, the the whirling syringe, the vaginal douche, it was a fairly common object for the Victorians um, versus the, the merman is just odd, however mythical it is. Um and I think that you know that kind of kind of conversation can be had with many of the objects that were that were put forward. Like the Stronce beast, for instance, is also you know it has its mythical beginnings and origins. So it's um, it kind of brings us back to the point that Amy uh, kind of made at the beginning, where she rather eloquently sort of suggested that actually odd can mean uh, very different things to very different people. So. In the old operating museum theatre, um, the old operating theatre museum. Sorry, I'm going to get it right eventually by the end of the podcast. Um, odd, odd for you was maybe a hidden history, something we don't talk about. Um, whereas odd for some museums was a mythical origin, a mythical tale, and odd for others was just the mundane. As 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 I suspect, you know, many of the uh, objects that have featured in the first four episodes of this podcast have been kind of more of the mundane kind of objects that you don't expect to see in a museum. So it kind of really does bridge across that idea of what actually odd is, um, which wasn't something that I expected to come out. I'm not sure if any of you three have any thoughts on that. I think that sort of, in my mind, echoes the sort of thoughts that were behind our podcast in a way when we started talking about the eggamodity we talked about the mundane we talked about the really quite um relatable everyday items and that was partly why we're thinking well okay they're important but are they important enough to be in a museum actually most cases when we've done to keep or not to keep i think it's been 50 50 Possibly more so to keep, um, because actually the more relatable, it's the more accessible items that we understand uh, that makes it, is it a backstory, makes it less odd than you initially think on the surface. Yeah, I think this has also really highlighted the, I think everyone in lockdown has really um, mm, mm, Odd on the digital content because kind of that's all we can do while no one can visit these places. 
I'd be really interested to know how many of the items that were submitted are on display because actually this is a really nice opportunity to talk about how museums aren't just about the stuff that we have on display. The oddities that we've talked about in the podcast before, and I think a lot of the oddities submitted for this, are not on display, and it's a nice opportunity to tell stories like of the rest of the collection and how it, how it may or may not have ended up there or it's in the collection or if it is a mundane thing or something a bit more and we don't always pick the most exciting item on display the different stories we can tell with them yeah i, I kind of agree with you um in in our case i actually think that the world in syringe uh, it is a mundane object as well i mean it's something that was that was used um quite frequently throughout the victorian era in the United States, in England, it was also used in France, in Germany. So there are accounts of, of, of women using this um, for a very long time until the early 20th century when it was already telling gynecologists saying, please do not use this. It's actually quite harmful for you. Um, but until then, this was kind of like a very common practice. Um, and now it's on display on a museum because uh, it, it tells a story about, you know, um, you know women's reality. Uh, that we may not be confronted with today, but without being able to see how it was in the past, then, you know, <laughs> how can we feel like, yeah, we've made it through. Things are getting better. Yes or no sometimes. But, um, but yeah, I think that it's a, it's a very interesting, you know, kind of like issue in terms of, you know, displaying these objects and telling their stories um, in the museum, um, but also digitally. Yeah. And I suppose, I suppose like, um, and, and unfortunately, guys, this is going to take a serious turn. So my apologies. Please do sound the nerd alert. But, um, but I suppose you know that was submitted as part of the Oddity Championships, which is in itself a you know a bit of a, a light-hearted joke at weird, weird, weird stuff in collections. But actually, you know, given the kind of the, the context to which these objects were used and and how they were used and when they were used and in what circumstances, you know. Is it kind of, you know, a, a little bit jarring? You know, maybe I don't know. It's up to you to it's up to you to decide. But I was just throwing that, you know, ethical bomb out there for you to either shoot me down or agree with. I think it's a really valid point that sometimes we've definitely found this in the museum where this actually our. Um, episode whichever number it was about tips for tea um on the surface we just thought it was this like interesting recipe book and it had like an advert in the back that was a bit sexist because it was this woman who was about it was about cooking and all and the place of the woman and that's how we'd use the item as a museum in our exhibition in the past actually when we had um, katie carbon to come in and she knew a lot more about it than we did brought up this whole new side to it and how it was actually probably quite kind of feminist as an item because it was these people making women making businesses out of cooking turning it into this kind of professional trade um so i kind of agree with you Stephen, that like sometimes something that might seem i don't want to say like frivolous or or light-hearted but sometimes doing things like this we can find out more or highlight the more serious or um yeah, more serious side to the stories whether it be a a whirling syringe or, or a 
recipe book or, or anything else. I think you need to learn more about the object by telling this or starting to tell the story and then seeing what comes back from it. So, uh, so are we basically saying that you know humour gives us a good uh, a good entry point to uh, start entering in a, a conversation that we might not otherwise enter upon? Oh, I agree with that so heartedly. Yeah. <laughs> I, yes. Yeah. I mean, when else, Monica, would we get the opportunity to talk about the whirling syringe? I mean, I think honestly, this gave us the platform, didn't it? it, it it's it's true. I mean. Um, it's a bit odd also to have it in our context because this is a household item. So you will not particularly have it in St. Thomas's Hospital as one of their objects for women <laughs> that were not provided through the hospital. So, you know, having it in our museum, in our collections, talking about, you know, um, a, a, a something different. So we usually don't talk about it um, when we talk about uh, Victorian medicine and surgery and things like that. So having this platform where we could actually share that bit of, of history, um, but starting from a very lighthearted kind of like point of view, uh, was fantastic. Um, then entering into something more serious, but I think that that's the way to to get people really interested. First of all, yeah. just like oh, that's interesting. Wow, I did not know that. Oh my god, you know, I I, I like those kind of like uh, transitions uh, when people find out information as it's being provided little by little. You know, it I takes people that's... on a journey, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like as you say, you you pique their interest, and then they want to know a bit more, and then they investigate yeah. it, and then they become quite involved with it and passionate about it, and. Yeah the whole point of the museum you know if there's some kind of way we can attract an interest or a convert start a conversation and then people go off and then their own research or they yeah. inquire more they ask questions i think you know, we, we've done our job haven't we in a yeah way. i think so um i think that the the whirling syringe um is, is, is it's memorable for for all of these reasons and i think that a lot of people learn a lot that day <laughs> I definitely, even though I was a fan of the merman, as we know, I did learn a lot about, <laughs> about the item, the whirling syringe. And I think, as you said, humour makes things accessible because a lot of people say, oh, history's not for me. History's all in the past, all of this yeah. sort of thing that we're always kind of fighting against. Immediately, you make something funny. It stops being like a history lesson and starts being a bit more accessible. And then you can trick them into learning something new because you can you can bring in the facts a bit later. Yeah, um, I think having that humour as the hook, this like strange <laughs> item that we when and we're not taking ourselves or or these items seriously, I think is a really nice nice thing. Yeah, and just imagine that um, the All Operating Theatre Museum of Herb Garrett deals with a very traumatic subject. I mean, history of medicine is not it's not easy. No. It's not easy to share. It's not easy to learn about because this is a reality that we're still facing. You know, we're still dealing with our bodies, with our, 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 our health. Um, everything is about, you know, you know <laughs> this idea that, that we're so connected um, with, with medicine in a way. Um, and, and it's not a big subject. I was just going to say, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating when you, uh, when we're working at the Old Operating Theatre and you, people leaving sort of feeling really quite inspired and, and thankful for how far we've come now yeah actually in 50 years time looking back to today how how are people going to respond now because as Monica was saying it's developing and we're learning rapidly that it changes much and 
hard to keep up with that, but it's so relevant to our everyday lives. Everyone has a medical history. Everyone has a medical past. That's sort of what we try and say, isn't it? I also think it's really personal, like med- like medicine and such a personal thing. It can be hard to tell like more general stories when everyone has quite a personal response. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think that that's, um, that's the thing, that um, being able to just um, share these stories from a point of view that is a little bit more lighthearted, um, that allows people to just, you know, pick their interest and start thinking in, in terms of, okay, this is, this is interesting. I'm so glad that, 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 that we have advanced so much um, at this point. Um, but at the same time, it, it could still be very traumatic. For, for the want of a better word, you know, it, it could be described as an instrument of torture. I think a lot of people who use them probably would say. Yeah. A lamb in sheep's clothing, or is that a wolf? Wolf, wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> I can't hear any of you. So, Stephen, did you say uh, an instrument of pleasure or torture? Torture. I think we'll have to leave that in. <laughs> 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 I, I, it cut out it was the internet what can i say to be to be fair if you were going to cut out at any point that was incredible that was actually good point sarah it was comedic cut that cut that it's fine nah keep it in it's great um <laughs> yeah so i suppose i suppose the only the only other kind of questions in my mind that are currently circulated in our current circumstances are Maybe some more general reflections on on the role of museums whilst they're all closed. Actually, museums have never been more active on social media than they have now, which is kind of a a sad irony in in, in many regards. It's been fantastic to see all the museums rise to the challenge and having we've had so many initiatives over the last few weeks. Sometimes you just can't place being in that historic environment. And I suppose with the old operating theatre, dear Monica, it is a museum of place and space. Nothing can replace being in that actual theatre and standing where some of those surgeons and students stood and lying on that operating table. I mean, that experience is amazing. While we are closed and that's not available, I think the museums really up and down the country across the world we should give us all ourselves a pat on the back <laughs> i mean I, I think it's true because um it's it's really been fantastic and since i i basically am behind the social media for the a lot um no definitely i, th- I think um i think i think everyone's stepped up might be a, a bit harsh but really risen to the challenge it, it's a matter of just keep going with that and sarah your views please i think it's important that we don't just uh, go back to some sort of new normality. We reopen the museums, we manage the systems, we work out how to welcome our visitors with social distancing. But it's very important. But I don't think we should lose sight of what we've accomplished in the last few months with um, social media. And I think it's it's this is a springboard on how we can develop further. And I, I hope that we can continue to do things differently and more creatively. So I think that kind of brings us to the end of our conversation. At this point, normally, I would say insert link here to keep or not to keep. That is the question. Um, we keep but I think we've been museum social media as it has been. Is that the to keep or not to keep for this episode? Oh, oh. 
me. To keep or not to keep? That is the question. That's good, Amy. I didn't think along those lines. Been thinking about this all week. (laughs) Amy, what would the link be then? Uh, Well, it's still to keep or not to keep. It's to keep or not to keep museum social media as as it has been, or should we just take this as a finite thing and then go back to how we were before once we're allowed back at the is it to tweet or not to tweet? Tweet. Or not to tweet. That is the question. Well, go on then. To tweet or not to tweet. We'll start with you, Amy. I think we should absolutely tweet. I think we should really, as Sarah said, use this opportunity as a springboard, take the best that we can out of it and continue interacting with people, both people who would normally come to the museum and others. So yes, tweet. Monica? I completely agree. I will say tweet. You know, th- there's no way of, of, of being able to just go back uh, at this stage. Excellent. And Sarah? Oh, well, it's it's got to be to tweet, hasn't it? I think we've always been active on social media, the old operating theatre, and increasingly so at the uh, Egan Museum. And I think this has given us a wonderful platform on which to sort of increase that opportunity and ways in which we can talk and engage with people. And even even just simple things like Stephen, your morning coffee or slash tea has become. You know, I put my put market in the calendar now. For, <laughs> for you know, what cup are you going to use now? So I think it's a way of really reaching out to people who currently are in isolation, but we need to find a way of making that work in, in post lockdown ways. Um. I think that's going to be an interesting way to monitor how this transition is going to happen. On that note, I think we need to uh, wrap things up, chaps. It's been quite the experiment. Um, It's been quite the ride for me. I'm not sure about you. Amy, how do you think it went? I think it was really interesting to hear kind of from Monica. Oh, and I'm glad that we persevered through the technical difficulties. Monica? Well, I thought that it went well. <laughs> Different from your other podcast. Difference, not necessarily worse. Sarah, I feel it's kind of somewhat ethically wrong to give you the last word here, but there you go. <laughs> to be fair, I've really only heard half of this whole recording because I keep <laughs> dropping in and out. So I don't really know what you just said. But I agree. <laughs> it's it has been. been quite personal journey as well so nice to see my two workplaces my two museums come together and i know you've sort of been in touch before it's actually uh personally it's quite a nice experience to be part of this side of the story in this case so thank you very much um it's been a ride but quite frankly i've enjoyed it um we brought on the oddity it was a vaginal doge it was the whirling syringe it beat the Horniman Merman. It beat the National Library's Stronce Beast. It beat Chertsey's Bordelade. And it beat Surrey History Centre's Dentures. Kind of rhymes. Um, so there it is. The Whirling Syringe is the hashtag National Oddity Champion of 2020. We didn't know what this uh, podcast was going to sound like, and quite frankly, we still don't. But <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed it nonetheless. We've had a good fun recording it and a great laugh talking about the thing that impassions us the most, history and heritage 
and the collections that museums have. Please do go out and support your local museum. If they have a fundraising page, please do um, please do look it up and please do give generously. So as ever, I wish you a fond farewell. Keep safe, wear those masks, wash those hands, but most importantly, keep collecting. Till next time. You made it. Thank you for listening to the Egham Oddities podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you've liked what you've heard, be sure to subscribe. And if you're feeling particularly generous, leave us a nice review. See you next time.